to everybody. Isn't it great to be in the house of the Lord tonight? I can't think of any place I'd rather be than in the house of the Lord. Well, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. God is so good to us. You can be seated tonight. Brother Riggin, if you'll let me say this, he was being a little silly here tonight. I sent him an email, and when we talked about trading off, I said, well, here's the difference. Your sermons are well thought out, and, and, and the thoughts are coherent, and everything follows the anointing of the Holy Ghost. My messages are on post-it notes. And uh, jump around all over the place, <laughs> hallelujah. But I've counted an honor, I esteem a high honor to be here tonight with you. And uh, New Life is such a wonderful place, amen, to be a part of. And uh, I appreciate this church so much. We have a long history, praise God. And I remember when Brother Riggin first came. And I remember the things that have happened since then and how God has blessed and God has multiplied, and God has illuminated, God has strengthened and built up. Amen, amen, amen. Somebody say hallelujah. And I just count it an honor here tonight, and we'll look forward to Brother Riggin coming to our place. Amen. And my people go to sleep on me. Amen. Amen. I'm going to tell on you, Brother Barnes. I was, I was teaching one night, and I stopped and said, Brother Barnes, read for me started reading for me and I said stop let me preach a while and I preached for a while when I came back to finish the text he was asleep so I not only put my people to sleep I put my readers to sleep well hallelujah had to wake my reader up to finish the message amen but it's great to be in the house of the Lord tonight I do feel something from the Lord and I want to get into the word of God if you would with me Amen. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to Isaiah chapter 59. Isaiah chapter 59. Isaiah 59, and I want to begin reading here at verse 1. And I've got actually the whole chapter for those of you that are really interested in what we're talking about tonight. I'd, I'd like for you to go home later tonight and read the entire chapter. Because I think there's enough here, amen, that if God would help us, we could see something that we maybe we haven't seen before. And I don't know about how you feel about the Word of God, but I don't read the Word of God to get a sermon. And I'm a preacher. That's my job. I read the Word of the Lord inspirationally. I read it to feed my soul. But as I'm reading the Word of God, I also believe that the Holy Ghost discerns the needs of the congregation and so God feeds this poor old preacher and I and I know he I know he directs your pastor amen to feed you the good word of God amen this is not just an exercise in an apostolic church this is the dinner table praise God you've been out in the harvest field and you come in it's time to eat amen and God has a table spread where the saints of God are fed Amen, amen. Isaiah 59 and 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save. Neither his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins 
have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Now, I want to I get into this chapter because there's a lot of things going on. Verse 4, none calleth for justice, nor any pleadeth for truth. They trust in vanity and speak lies. They conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. Verse 8, the way of peace they know not, and there is no judgment in their goings. They have made them crooked paths. Whosoever goeth therein shall not know peace. Look at verse 14. And judgment is turned away backward, and justice standeth afar off. For truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. Yea, truth faileth, and he that departeth from evil maketh himself a prey. And the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no judgment. Look at verse 16. And he saw that there was no man, and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore his arm brought salvation unto him, and his righteousness it sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate, and a helmet of salvation upon his head. And he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing, and was clad with zeal as a cloak. Amen. I'm gonna, there's, there's so much here. Amen. Verse 19. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west, and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against them. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. Praise God. Well, hallelujah. I, I don't know exactly what to call this, but I... Uh, actually, it's kind of a couple messages here that I'm kind of weaving together. Amen. And I want to talk about headship a little bit. And then I want to talk about the intercessor. Praise God. So, amen. If you'll just lay your Bibles down, let's ask the Lord to talk to us tonight. Jesus, I believe you. God, again, here we are. And I know, Lord, that you love this church, God. And I'm asking you, Jesus, to touch my lips, touch my heart, God. Do a work in my soul. Hallelujah. Amen. Feed the flock tonight, Lord. Bless this pastor, God, and all those that labor in the harvest field. I'm asking you, Jesus, for your anointing and your grace, God. I believe you right now, Lord, in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Praise God. You know, one of the things that I have been studying, and I can't get away from it, but headship is such an important thing. And I believe when we're talking about headship, you know, the Bible talks about how the head of the woman is the man. And the head of the man is Christ, and the head of Christ is God. And, and it talks about how there's a hierarchy of, of placement in the church. And God has his church well organized. God has it from top to bottom. He knows exactly where everything is supposed to fit, and how everything is supposed to operate, and how everything is supposed to function. Praise God. It says the head of the woman, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the head of the woman is the man. Now this isn't talking about the head of every woman is every man. I believe it's the woman is the wife and the man is the husband. So the man is the head, amen, of the wife. Ephesians tells us the same thing, that the head of the wife is the husband. Everybody say praise God. I think we still believe that in apostolic circles, amen. Well, hallelujah. Now what that means is, is it means, now a lot of people say, well that means the husband's the boss. Well, okay, if you want to look at it that way. I mean, you can stand up and beat your chest and say, I'm the head of this house. 
You can call yourself Tarzan all you want to. But I'm going to tell you something. If you're not the type of leader that's worthy of being a leader, she's not going to follow you. Well, hallelujah. A real head takes responsibility. Amen. And I taught a whole series of this to my church, but a real, real headship isn't being about being a boss. Amen. You men have a responsibility, and I, there's just enough pastor in me that I can't leave some of this stuff alone. Amen. There's, you men have a responsibility to be the one who prays the most, and the one who touches God the most, and the one who studies the Word of God the most. Amen. Because you've got the responsibility of those underneath you. Well, praise God. I feel the keen responsibility as a pastor that I've got these people underneath me. Amen. Well, hallelujah. Boy, I can get up and I can toot my horn and say, you know what? I got a group of people that I can boss around. But that's not the way I look at it. I look at a group of people that I'm, I've taken responsibility for. Amen. In the Holy Ghost. In Jesus' name. Everybody say hallelujah. Amen. If somebody, you know, I was... Brother Riggin knows me, and we, we're almost like brothers, amen, and even though we don't talk to each other a whole lot, but that doesn't mean we don't have a good, solid friendship. But, you know, the thing about it is, is you know, I've, we've talked to pastors, and, and I'm not trying to run down the mystery in any way at all, but there's been times I've talked to pastors, it's like, you know, those people that I pastor, they're just a bunch of knotheads. And if I had a better group of people, then I'd have a better church. And there's been a couple of those guys when I was in a situation where I wouldn't embarrass them too bad. I would look at them and say, that's why you're there. And so you can take those knotheads and turn them into saints. Well, hallelujah. I've heard people say, if I had a better wife, I could live for God. Well, a real head takes responsibility. If your wife has a problem, then you have a problem. Wow, praise God. If I got a problem in my church, that's my problem, Brother Riggin. That's my problem. I can't just say, well, just an old knothead, just an old misfit. You know, the Bible talks about David, and the Bible says of David that when he was running from... I got so much material here tonight. That the Bible says that when David was running from Saul, the Bible says there was a whole bunch of people that came to David. And the Bible says that they were in distress, and they were in debt, and they were discontented. Now that's not the kind of move-ins I'd want to have. Amen? But they were in distress, and they were in debt, and they were discontented. When you got people following you that's in distress, and in debt, and discontented, friend, you've got more problems than you can shake a stick at. But I'm going to tell you what David did. David took responsibility for those men. And it wasn't long until he turned those three D's into a standing army. And the Bible says he had 600 men that followed him that he could fight anybody he wanted to fight. And he had no trouble doing that. And I believe the reason why is because he was the head like he was supposed to be the head. Everybody say hallelujah. In other words, he took those misfits and he turned them into warriors. He turned them into soldiers. He turned them into children of God, if you'll let me say it that way. I want to bring to you a positive side to the ministry. A lot of people think that the ministry is all about bossing people around, but that's not what it's about. It's about stepping down where you're at and the things that you're struggling with and picking you up and helping you live for God. Well, hallelujah. 
This is, so, this is something that's so buried deep in my heart that I just I, I can't get away from it because it's so easy sometimes when somebody's got a problem to take our boot and put it on them and grind them into the dirt. You need to thank God you've got a pastor that doesn't operate that way. Amen? Well, hallelujah. That's what the church is all about. The church is all about when you're struggling and when you're trying to get the victory over something and you're trying to become an overcomer. Amen. You've got a head. Amen. You've got a pastor that's looking over you, praying for you, that's working with you to help you live for God. Well, hallelujah. I got to read something the other day that kind of stirred my soul. The Bible says, ye that are spiritual, restore such a one. You know, you know how we interpret that verse of Scripture is restore means to just pick them up and put them back on their feet. But that's not what restore means. Restore means to pick them up, put them back on their feet, and then nurse them back to health. Well, that's a lot of work. You know that? That's a lot of work. But, friend, when you do that, you've, you've won a friend forever. You know why you love this man so much? Let me tell you why you love this man so much. He's carried you in some trials. He's fought devils for you. The reason you love this man is because he's walked with you when nobody else was walking with you. And he understood you when nobody else understood you. And he was praying for you when you wouldn't even pray for yourself. I hope this is all right, Elder. It's going to get better, I promise. Praise God. But I'm just telling you, we need to take responsibility for one another. We are our brother's keeper. That's a whole other message. But, I, I, you know, if, if my children have problems, that's my problem. Amen? And my children have had problems, and I've, that, that's become my responsibility. I own that. Amen? Well, hallelujah. I'm not lost tonight. I know where I'm going. I just, I just, I want us to understand. You know, when God called Saul, and of course we know that Saul messed up. But when the prophet came to him, it's interesting in, in 1 Samuel 15, what the prophet said to him after he sacrificed and threw a party about his victory over the Amalekites. Samuel looked at him and he said, did I not make thee the head? Did I not make you the king of Israel? You know, that's easy to skate over the top of that because we always think of him as being a king. But God, through the prophet, told the king, he said, you're the head. You're the head. It doesn't matter what the people want to do. What matters is the head should be leading the way. And he rebuked Saul because Saul was not leading the way. Thank God we've got an apostolic ministry that knows how to lead the way. Hallelujah. Yeah, praise God. I could go on and I could talk about so many things. David, you know, we talked about him helping those, amen, turn them into a fighting force. He not only turned them into an army, but he developed an elite crew called 30 Mighty Men. That they were, they were tougher and meaner than anything Israel had ever seen. 30 Mighty Men. Not only that, but he was such a warrior that even the Gittites wanted to follow him. And when you study your Bible, the Gittites were from Gath. Now go back a little bit. David went out there on the battlefield and killed a giant from Gath. And he made such an impression on the Philistines that when it was time for him to become king and he was, and he was in the battle against his own son, there were Gittites that said, we're going to follow you. Well, praise God. Hallelujah. 
You know what? I just believe in my heart that there's a whole lot of people out there waiting, amen, to follow. There's a whole lot of people just watching to see what's going to happen and what we're going to do and how we're going to handle some situations in our life. Well, I've said there's some Gittites out there. We, we've killed their giant. We've killed their giant. And we're walking in the victory. And they're just waiting to see if the people of God are going to keep on being the people of God. And when we are, they're going to want to join. Hallelujah. I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that. Well, hallelujah, hallelujah. Samuel was such an intercessor that the Bible says that the Philistines left Israel alone in the days of Samuel. Samuel prayed and the Philistines were defeated. The Bible talks about, it talks about in Ezekiel 14, 14, and, 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 and it mentions Noah and Samuel and Job as some of the historical intercessors in the Bible. And I'm going to tell you what we need today. We need intercessors. This is no indictment on new life, but I'm going to tell you at Cornerstone, I'm, I'm grieving because we need intercessors. I'm not just talking about people that pray. I remember when I was a new convert over 30 years ago, I remember when I came in the church, we had at least two or three little old ladies. But I'm going to tell you, when you came in the church, they were praying and they were rocking the spirit realm. I'm telling you, they were in touch with God. And they were moving things in the spirit. You know, I, I, I fear that those days, if we're not careful, we'll slip away from us and we'll never find them again. But what I'm believing in the spirit is I'm believing that God is going to raise up intercessors. And God is going to raise up people that's going to stand in the gap. And they're going to make up the hedge. Hallelujah. They're going to throw themselves into that void, amen, that the enemy has taken advantage of. And when we step in that gap and we pray and we get a hold of God, it's going to change things. Hallelujah. Somebody say hallelujah. Amen, amen. You got a problem? You need to get in the gap and pray. You got a situation going on in your life? Don't complain about it if you're not praying. Well, hallelujah. Get up in that spot and say, God, you know what? I didn't, I didn't make it this far just to lose out with you. And I didn't come this far, God, to give ground to the enemy. I'm here because I believe that, God, you want to go further in the kingdom of God. Oh, hallelujah. You know, that spirit of David needs to get a hold of us. A lion jumps up. David didn't even think. He jumped up and killed the lion. Bear comes into the, into the flock and he jumps up and kills the bear. I don't believe he even hesitated when Goliath marched out on the battlefield because something was between the people of God and victory. Hallelujah. And I'm going to tell you, it needs to be in our spirit that if there's something between the people of God and victory, we need to stand up and say, I'll stand in the gap. I'll pray. If nobody else will pray, I'll pray. If nobody else will get a hold of God, I'll get a hold of God. Well, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Amen, amen. I get a little weary sometimes, saints asking me to pray for them when they won't pray for themselves. And yet, I'm the man of God. Amen? Well, hallelujah. Everybody say praise God. Are you with me tonight? There's been many times that I've watched Brother Riggin 
through trials and situations that some of you may not even know about. But I remember watching him and Sister Riggin going to prayer, seeing them labor under a burden for you, fighting hell itself, getting a hold of God. And some of you are here tonight. You're here tonight because there was an intercessor that stood up and took a place between you and hell. Amen. And sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we forget. I've got a praying pastor, a praying pastor that prays for me every day. And he gets a hold of God for me. And there's times that he comes and he counsels with me. Let's don't ever diminish the power of the ministry. Amen. The power of an intercessor. Somebody that will pray for us. Somebody that will fight hell for us. Amen. Somebody that will move things in the spirit so that you and I can make progress in the kingdom of God. Somebody say hallelujah. Let's lift our hands and worship the Lord again right now. Hallelujah. shift gears a little bit I'm going to open a can of worms tonight it wouldn't, it wouldn't be right if I was at New Life and didn't open a can of worms this reminds me of XL days praise God I, I really miss XL days I don't believe now this is just brother Nance for what it's worth and your pastor can straighten all this out I don't believe it was God's intention to kill Hezekiah prophet came to Hezekiah. God told him, he said, you go tell Hezekiah to get his house in order because he's going to die. And I got my reasons for believing that. And here's some of them. When God added 15 years to his life, if you study about his oldest son, Manasseh, became king at 12. Amen. If God would have killed him at the time that he said he was going to kill him, then the lineage would be broken. Amen? There would be no king after him. They would have to anoint a nephew or something to continue the line of the kings. Now, I know Manasseh was a rotten outfit, and I know that he forgot, according to his name, he forgot a whole bunch of things about living for God. But I really believe what happened is when God, God was trying to get Hezekiah to pray. Amen. And God knows how to put pressure on us to get us to pray. Amen. And he said, put your house in order because you, you, this is it. Wrap it up because you get to do everything you need to do because this is it. And he turned his face towards the wall and he began to pray. And he touched God so much that the prophet, as he was walking out the court, the prophet had to turn around and come back and say, you know what? God is going to add 15 years to your life. Everybody say hallelujah. Now, you can dispute with me on that, and that's fine. But I just believe that there's sometimes that God leans on us. He takes our arm and twists it behind our back to get us to do some things we need to do. Because I really believe that God's number one plan for us is to become prayer warriors and intercessors. Church, hear me tonight. Just before you throw this out, God wants you to be an intercessor. God wants you to be that person that stands between heaven and somebody else or hell and somebody else. He wants you to take responsibility for a soul. Amen. Amen. And nurture them and help them to live for God. I see three other times in the Bible where 
and, and I see, I read of at least three times, and maybe some of you scholars can find another one, where God told Moses, he said, Moses, if you'll just step aside here, I'll wipe out the whole congregation, and we'll start all over with you. There's at least three times. Exodus chapter 32, Numbers chapter 14, and Numbers chapter 16. Three times God told Moses, if you'll just stand a little bit to the left there, I'll wipe out this whole congregation, and I'll start a new nation with you. Now, that, that could be kind of flattering to somebody. To think, well, at least if you start with me, you'd be making them out of the right material. <laughs> but I believe what was really happening is God was compelling the head to be an intercessor. I believe that's what was really happening. They had had a golden calf, and when I read about when I read about Moses and God, I get tickled sometimes. And I don't know if any of you see the humor in this, but it's kind of like parents talking about their kids. You know, when a kid's acting up, mom will say, "Go get your kid. That's your kid that's climbing up those curtains over there. Go get your kid off of those curtains. That's not my kid. That's your kid. Go get your kid." God told Moses when he was on the mountain, He said, "Your people that you brought up out of Egypt." is down there dancing around a golden calf. And you go get him. Sometimes Moses would look at God and he'd say, those people, your people, God, are, are doing things that they're not supposed to be doing. And I know as a pastor there's times that I'm saying, God, your people's not doing right. And sometimes, and I know we are averse to saying this when we talk about our church and we talk about my people. And some people get offended because the pastor talks about my people as if they're possessions. And that's not what we intend at all. It's just that God, God looks at that as a, as a cooperation between us and him, those people. And when you read this passage, it's incredible because in, in, in uh, let's just go there, Exodus 32, where God tells him to go down and, and, and the Bible says that, He's going down the mountain, and Joshua meets him by the side of the hill. Joshua's up there with him, and, and, and as he's coming down, this is beautiful. In fact, I like to preach from this, but Joshua's coming down the side, or Moses come down the side of the mountain. Joshua says, there's the, there's the cry of war. There's the noise of war in the camp. This is verse 17. And he said, it is not the voice of them that shout for mastery, neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome. But the noise of them that sing do I hear. Boy, I, I was preaching on this one time and I said there's only two legitimate cries that the people of God should ever be lifting up. And one of them is the cry of shouting for mastery. We're winning the battle. And we're defeating the enemy. And the only other legitimate cry is we're being overcome. Come help us, Lord. We need your anointing and we need your help. But Moses said, that's not what you're hearing down there. They're singing down there. And he comes down out of the mountain, and it came to pass, amen, that he, and you know the story, Moses got mad. I, sometimes I think in my mind that Moses, when he saw what they were doing, he might have stopped and said, God, can I change my mind about this? He did get mad enough that he took the Ten Commandments and he threw them down and broke them. I'm going to tell you something, that was a pretty serious thing for Moses to do. He broke those Ten Commandments and God made him... God made him carve out the next set. Praise God. Look at verse 10 and verse 32. Now therefore, this is God talking. Now therefore, let me alone. This language here to me is so intimate. It's like God is saying, Moses, we are so connected that I can't do anything apart from you. Let me alone, Moses. 
that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? He says, God, look what you've already done. This was Moses' initiation into becoming an intercessor. Amen. And I love this. In fact, he matures in his intercession. This is one of the things I want to draw out tonight. Is not only do we need to intercede, but we need to find levels in intercession. All right. He tells God, he says, God, look what you've already done. Well, that's a good place to start when you're wanting God to do something. When you're wanting God to repair something. When you're wanting God to fight on your behalf. You can say, God, look what you've already done. Do I need to give you a history lesson, Lord? The one that's omniscient, that doesn't forget anything. God, I want to remind you what you've already accomplished. And then he says to them, in, in, to God in verse 12, Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, For mischief did he bring them out, to slay them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from thy fierce wrath, and repent of this evil against thy people. He is bold talking to God. He said, God... If you do this, the Egyptians are going to say that you brought them out here to kill them. And God, you shouldn't do this evil thing. Everybody say amen. I'm telling you, he's being bold, isn't he? He's being bold. And he says, God, he said, if you, if you kill them, then those sinners are going to say, yeah, yeah, he delivered them, but he, he couldn't take them very far. Yeah, he, he broke them away from their alcohol and he broke them away from their drugs, but he couldn't take them very far down the road. He had to take them out of the wilderness and kill them. But the intercessor says, God, I know you better than that. I know that you're not just good for one or two victories. I know that you've got a track record here. And God, I know you can do a whole lot more than what you've already done. And I don't want the sinner saying that my God's not able to do what I said he was able to do. And he's saying, God, God, I want you to change your mind. Now, I'm going to tell you, an intercessor can say that. An intercessor, somebody that's a regular customer, somebody that spends time in prayer, somebody that's not a novice, and somebody that's willing to go in between and stand in the gap and fight. I'm telling you, he, he fought against Pharaoh to deliver these people. He fought against Pharaoh, the ten plagues, and he took abuse, and he took ridicule, even from the, even from the people of God, when he... Pull them out of, the, out, of the, out of the land of Egypt. The Bible says, and then he shifts gears. He says, God, he said, not only, not only do you have a track record, and not only will the Egyptians say this, but you made a promise. Look at verse 13. You made a promise to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So God, it's not, just about, it's not just about what you've done. It's not just about what the sinners are going to say. But God, you'd be breaking a promise. God, you'd be breaking a promise if you killed them now. Oh, hallelujah. I believe we ought to be bold when we're praying and we're talking to God. I believe the time of us being weak and scared and afraid of offending God, we need to set that aside. Amen. Let me tell you something, church. This is what I believe with all my heart. If we're praying something wrong, I have enough confidence in my relationship with God. And if I'm praying the wrong thing, He'll tell me I'm praying the wrong thing. But I want to be bold, and I want to claim as much ground as I can in the Holy Ghost. Amen. And if I'm too bold, He'll tell me I'm too bold. 
Or what I like even better is the Lord to say, I don't want you praying that. I want you praying this. And when God tells you, I want you praying this, then you know exactly where you're supposed to be at. And you know exactly what you need to be talking about. And you know exactly where you need to spend your time. I'm simple-minded, but when I'm praying and I start feeling the Holy Ghost, I feel like I'm on to something. Hallelujah. And I start feeling His presence. I feel like I'm where I'm supposed to be. Hallelujah. And when I start asking for things and I feel that anointing come on me, I feel like I'm right where I'm supposed to be. Hallelujah. And when that spirit of intercession gets on you, hallelujah, you're going to know that something's happening in the Spirit and something's happening in the Holy Ghost. We need intercessors in this day and in this hour. Oh, hallelujah. I like singing, and I like preaching, and I like everything that goes on in the house of God. But I'm going to tell you, the greatest need of this hour is we need intercessors. Oh, hallelujah. The Bible says, Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and saidest unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. So the intercessor, that was intercession 101. And Moses passed with flying colors. But if you follow the dialogue, you're going to understand that the Bible says that they took the tabernacle out of the center of the camp and they put it outside the camp. And Moses couldn't stand that. And I I wish I had time to just get into all of this because there's so much here. They put the tabernacle outside the camp and Moses said, that's not right. And that's when Moses went outside the camp and he told God, he said, God, show me thy glory. Show me thy glory. This wasn't just there was some arbitrary thing that God wanted to see, that Moses wanted to see God. It was because the tabernacle wasn't where it was supposed to be. And the intercessor was saying, we've got to put God back in the middle of the camp. And the only way that can happen is if I see his glory. If somehow I get under the anointing. If somehow I get in that prayer. If somehow I can touch God the way I need to touch him. I can put God back in the center of the camp. I'm going to preach to you here for a little while. If you don't feel like God's in the center of your camp here tonight, you need to take the time and say, God, I need to see your glory. I need to see your glory. Hallelujah. I'm not happy, God, with my relationship. It can be deeper. It can be fuller. It can be richer. Hallelujah. And if you feel like there's been any distance between you and God, and I'm preaching to myself here tonight, if there's been any distance between you and God, you need to take the time. You're not wasting time to go back and say, God, let me see what I need to see. He that sitteth hath not seen him, neither known him. He that sinneth is of the devil, 1 John 3 says. And then it says he has not seen him, neither known him. So when you repent of your sin, it's not enough to say, God, I'm sorry. And God, I don't ever want to do that again. Then after you say that, you need to say, God, what am I not seeing? What am I not seeing that opens me up to sin? What is it that I don't know about you that is opening my spirit up to do the wrong thing? Because, God, i got to see your glory. 
I've got to touch. I've got to touch the throne. I've got to touch the throne. Hallelujah. We, we get into sin management. It's so easy to get into, well, I, I sinned and now I'm repented and everything's all right. No, no. You're going to be on that, you're going to be on that roller coaster until Jesus comes. If you don't stop and say, God, this happened, but I don't ever want it to happen again. I stumbled here, but God, I want to see what I need to see so I don't stumble over this again. I want to know what I need to know. And Moses said, show me thy glory. And the Lord said, you can't see my face. But he said, there is a place by me in the cleft of the rock. And God put him in the rock. And you know the message. Hallelujah. And the Bible says that God walked by, the, the, that he declared the name of the Lord and walked by. Amen. And showed him his hinder parts. I'm going to tell you what I believe about that. I believe that that was when God showed Moses the creation. When did Moses see the creation? He wrote all about it. He wrote about it as if he was there. And I believe what God did is he unpacked eternity past. And he showed him when God said, let there be light. And there was light. Oh, hallelujah. Moses, you want to see my glory? Let me show you something here. And God unpacked the glory of yesterday. But he said, you can't see my face. But I'm going to tell you where we're at. We're on the other end of that spectrum. Oh, hallelujah. Because we behold God in the face of Jesus Christ. We're seeing something Moses could not see. Well, hallelujah. Moses got the victory over seeing what happened in the past. You and I can stand here tonight and rejoice not only about the past, but about what he's going to do in the future. What he's doing right now. Hallelujah. And not only that, but you and I can be a part of that. Let's love Him again right now. Let's just love the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 My God. My God. My God. Oh, we need intercessors. We need, inter- we need those that are willing to sit in the gap and make up the hedge. Oh, hallelujah. Then you go to the book of Numbers and it's the second time that we see when God was ready to annihilate the congregation. Numbers chapter 14. You pick it up. In verse 11, amen. They came to Kadesh Barnea. And it was time to go over into the promised land. God was offering them a land that flowed with milk and honey. A land that flowed with milk and honey. Wow. Hallelujah. That sounds like a good place. And the Bible says that they went and they came back and they gave an evil report. And when you look at verse 11... The Bible says, the Lord said unto Moses, how long will this people provoke me? And how long will it be ere they believe me? For all the signs which I have shown among them, I will smite them with the pestilence and disinherit them and will make of thee a greater nation and mightier than they. And Moses said unto the Lord, then the Egyptians shall hear it. Now, you know, think about this for a minute. Think about all the promises of God that would be broken if Moses would have taken God up on the offer. Because if if Hezekiah had some things that needed to be fulfilled, so did Israel. It wasn't just Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Bible says that the scepter would not depart from Judah. Amen. So that the kingdom was going to be in Judah's hand. And if Judah was destroyed, that wouldn't happen. Now, I know some of you would say, well, that's what happens when you have a breach of promise with God. A lot of things are lost. But I really believe that what God was doing is he was molding and making an intercessor. 
Just ride with me here tonight. I'll smite them. Verse 13, Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians shall hear it, for thou broughtest up this people in thy might from among them. And they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land, for they have heard that thou art the Lord among this people, that thou, Lord, art seen face to face, and that thy cloud standeth over them, and that thou goest before them by day time in a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. But I like the way he, he, took, he took the old argument about the Egyptians. But he kind of changed a little bit. And he said, God, the Egyptians will hear it. And they're going to tell everybody around here. That you're the God that lives in the middle of the camp. You're the God that's a pillar of fire by night. And a pillar of cloud by day. And you're the one that feeds them the manna. And you're the one that takes care of them. You give them water out of a rock. And yet you could not bring them up and keep them and save them. Somebody say hallelujah. I'm going to tell you sometimes that spirit tries to get in our congregations. It tries to come in and say, oh yeah, you've come this far, but he's not going to keep you now. You've come this far, but your problem that you've got right now is bigger than anything you've ever seen. It doesn't matter because God is in the center of the camp. Come on, church. There's no problem that's bigger than the God that we serve. There's no situation that's bigger than the God that we serve. There's nothing going on in your life. That is more worthy of, of your attention than the God that you're living for here tonight. That's why you come into the house of God and you worship Him. You're not being a hypocrite. Because you're worshiping He that is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And He's the Lord of your circumstances as well. Ah, oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen, amen. If you're, if you're going to blame somebody, don't blame God. An old wise preacher told me one time, he said, don't ever make God part of your problem. Always let God be part of the solution or the solution. Whenever you make God part of the problem, you cannot win. Well, hallelujah. I like Deuteronomy 6 and 23. Is anybody close to that? I like Deuteronomy 6 and 23. Amen, amen, amen. Who's got that? Help me out, brother. I'd quote it, but I'd mess it up. Well, hallelujah. Read it. And he brought us out from thence. He brought us out from thence. That he might bring us in. That he might bring us in. To give us the land which he sware unto our fathers. To give us the land which, I like that. He said he brought us out from thence to bring us in. He didn't bring us out to kill us. And He didn't bring us out to abandon us. And He didn't bring us out here so that we would fail. He brought us out with the intention of bringing us in. When God gave you the Holy Ghost, He gave you New Jerusalem Holy Ghost. When He gave you His name, He gave you the name of Jesus that's tied to New Jerusalem. When He filled you with the Spirit, He said, you can make it, you can make it, you can make it. When he laid his hand on you, he wasn't wasting his time. God doesn't waste his time. He's too economical in the way that he works in the Spirit. When God laid his hand on you, he was telling you, you can make it all the way home. You can make it all the way home. The trial that you're going through here tonight, it doesn't mean anything to God. If anything, the trial that we're going through right now is nothing less than to shape us and to make us what God wants us to be. 
Somebody told me one time, I said, well, why did God leave the devil running around? Well, he's a saint-making machine. Amen. If God can't use him, then he'll use him. Amen. If he can't use him for his glory, then he'll use him to shape his people. The devil can't defeat us. Well, hallelujah. You go on here, he says, they'll tell the inhabitants, Now if thou shalt kill all this people as one man, then the nations which have heard the fame of thee will speak, saying, Because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land, which he sware unto them, therefore he has slain them in the wilderness. And now I beseech thee, let the power of my Lord be great, according as thou hast spoken, saying, The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clear... Oh, I like this. Moses, you see what Moses is doing? He's going to class 102. He's going to 201 intercession. And he's saying, God, not only, not only will the inhabitants hear about it, but I'm going to tell you something. I know something about you. You're a long-suffering God and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression. And I like this little phrase that he throws in here. And by no means clearing the guilty. He said, I'm not saying, God, that if they're not guilty that they don't deserve your judgment. But I'm saying, amen, that I know your character and you're a God of long-suffering and mercy. Hallelujah. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children under the third and fourth generation. Now, this is not a negative thing. I believe what this is talking about is I believe that when God visits the iniquity upon the third and fourth generation, i got too much preaching stuff here tonight, I'm telling you. I believe that what God is promising here, it's not just about God, well, if your kids are bad, then your kids are going to inherit it too, and then your grandkids, and I, I believe that happens by nature. When you're evil, your kids suffer for it, and your grandkids suffer for it. But I believe what God is promising here, what Moses is compelling God to promise, is that they break the cycle. God, you're not going to let it go beyond three or four generations until you let them have a chance to break out of that way of thinking or to break out of that way of living. That's the kind of God that you and I serve. God is not the kind of God that's a perpetual meat grinder that just grinds and grinds and grinds. No, I'm telling you, the long-suffering and the mercy of God comes cropping up. Oh, He judges sin. Don't you ever forget that. He judges sin. But friend, He's going to say, that family has suffered long enough. And I'm going to give them children a chance to break out of that cycle. And some of you come out of homes just like that. You had daddies that were wicked and you had grandpas that were wicked and you had great-grandpas and God come along and He said, I'm going to give this one a chance to see if they want to be in the kingdom of God. Because that's the kind of God that you and I serve. Oh, hallelujah. I'm telling you, He's worthy. He's worthy tonight. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Verse 19, pardon, I beseech thee, the iniquity of this people, according to the greatness of thy mercy. And as thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt, even until now. Now, I can't prove it, but I believe there was a pause right here. And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word. But look at verse 21. But as truly as I live. All the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Let me tell you what the Lord's saying. He said, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm listening to your intercession here, and I'm going to pardon them. But the day is coming when I'm going to have a people 
that's going to serve me. And they're going to bring me glory. And the day is coming when it's going to fill the earth. And the day is coming when everybody's going to know. Amen. Because of my people. What God is saying is this bunch right here, there, uh, yeah, you're interceding for them, but I'm going to tell you, it's not always going to be like this. Because I'm, I believe he was talking about the church. I believe he was talking about the kingdom of God. The day is coming when I'm going to have them all over the world, bringing me glory, doing my word, keeping my word, loving me, walking in the spirit. Somebody say hallelujah. Because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have tempted me now these ten times and have not hearkened to my voice, surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers. Neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him. Boy, I like to preach from this. God didn't say Caleb was right. And he was right. I like what God said. God said he had a different spirit with him. Oh, hallelujah. He not only was right, his spirit was in the right place. And I know I'm wearing you down, but let me show you one more place. Go to Numbers chapter 16, and it's the third time when God looks at Moses. Look at verse 20. This is a time when Korah rose up, the most famous rebellion probably in the Old Testament. Korah rose up, and he said, Moses, you take too much upon yourselves. He said, the whole congregation is holy. Everybody knows that. The congregation is holy. Everybody knows that. But Korah said, you take too much upon yourself. As if Moses decided to do all this. Do you think that any man, any sane man, would say, you know what? I think I'll just take two or three million people that were slaves and I'll just carry them out in the wilderness and I'll lead them and guide them. And... No sane man would do that. That little old flock that I have, sometimes I wonder what I've done. Amen. But Korah said, you take too much upon yourselves. And he, he was promoting himself. And then there was Dathan and Abiram that were rising up against Moses and speaking evil against him. Look at verse 20. Verse 20, the Lord speaks to Moses. And this is what he said. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. Now notice the progression here, Elder, because in the first instance, God said, let me, let me destroy him. Let me alone. Let me alone. And then in the second, God said, I'll do this. And Moses said, oh, no, no, you won't do that. In this, in this situation, this third time, God said he'd destroy him. God says, Moses, separate yourself from those people. A real man of God is going to connect himself to God's people. A real man of God is saying, oh, no, no, no. We're in this together. And when you read those old prophets in the Old Testament, those prophets, the real prophets, were the ones that said, we have sinned. And we have confusion on our faces. And we have done against the commandments of the Lord. They wasn't saying, those people did it. Those people did it. The real men of God were saying, we have done this. And they were weeping between the porch and the altar. And the reason why is because they were connected to the people of God. Those of you that are from Cornerstone, I want you to know something. You're not getting rid of me that easy. And those of you from New Life, you're not getting rid of Brother Riggin that easy. Because I believe there reaches a level of intercession. 
to where you're kept, you're, you're connected. Amen. God says, separate yourself. Listen to what the Word of God says. Separate yourselves from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell upon their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin, and wilt thou be wroth with all the congregation? Notice Moses, his maturity in intercession. Moses is realizing even when the whole congregation has a problem, that is probably not the whole congregation. Could preach for three hours right here. Moses, Moses was tuning in to how this worked. Mm, we got problems in the house. Shall one man sin? Shall one man sin? <laughs> Somebody say hallelujah. Y'all still love me? Shall one man sin and wilt thou be wroth with all the congregation? He was saying, God, I've learned something about this intercession business. I've learned that usually when you, when you take care of the problem, you don't have to wipe out half the congregation. What we need here, God, is we need, a, we need surgery. We need a surgical strike. Well, hallelujah. Well, praise God. I've learned as an intercessor, I don't have to beat up the whole congregation to get to the problem. Oh, I can do that. I've done it. I put knots on everybody's heads. Y'all understand me? And the one I was really after was so hard-headed, didn't even bother him. But I've learned what I can do is I can get in prayer and I can start interceding and I can say, God, Whatever the problem is here, if there's one man in the way or there's one person in the way, God, I know you can take care of that. Everybody still with me here tonight? And the, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the congregation, saying, Get up, get you up from the tabernacle of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. So the man of God stood up and he said, These three men, I want you to get away from their, get away from their tents. Don't even, don't, even, don't even get around them. Amen. And, and the congregation Moses rose up and went unto Dathan and Abiram and elders of Israel followed him and he spake unto the congregation saying depart I pray you from the tents of these wicked men and touch nothing of theirs lest ye be consumed in all their sins. So they got up from the tabernacle of Korah, Dathan and Abiram on every side and Dathan and Abiram came out and stood in the door of their tents and their wives and their sons and their little children and if you'll let me use my preacher's imagination I think they were standing there defiant. Let's see what Moses will do. These guys are idiots. Did they forget what Egypt? Did they forget what happened in Egypt? Moses said, Hereby ye shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of mine own mind. You think all this was my idea? If these men die the common death of all men, or if they be visited after the visitation of all men, then the Lord hath not sent me. He put his ministry on the line. But if the Lord make a new thing, and the earth open her mouth, and swallow them up with all that appertain unto them, and they go down quick into the pit, then ye shall understand that these men have provoked the Lord. The ground's going to open up and swallow these guys. Yeah, right. 
There's a reason why it was swallowed up. The Bible says that death is swallowed up in victory. Because that's how God operates. God doesn't just knock an enemy down. God doesn't just knock them down and, and put a few bruises on them. God swallows them up. God swallows them up so there's nothing left. So there's nothing left to, to, to infect the rest of the people. So there's nothing left. Amen. When God swallows up death, I'm going to tell you that's going to be a resurrection day like nobody has ever imagined in their, in their wildest imagination. Amen. Death is not only going to be defeated, it's going to be swallowed up. Oh, death, I will be thy plagues. That's what God said. Amen. God said, I'm going to make death sick. Boy, I love that word picture. I'm going to make death sick. Not only am I going to make death sick, but I'm going to swallow it up. When death wrapped its jaws around Jesus Christ, it got an illness. Amen. And I'm going to tell you, God's going to wrap it all up at the end of time. And there's going to be a resurrection of the dead. Amen. And, and I'm going to tell you, I'm planning on being there, and you're planning on being there. But when God has an enemy to deal with, He swallows them up. And the Bible says, And it came to pass as He made an end of speaking all these words, that the ground clave asunder that was under them, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up, and their houses and all the men that appertained unto Korah and all their goods. Well, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm stopping. This is, this is the kind of intercessor I want. This is the kind of intercessor I want. Because if there's enemies around me, I know the intercessor can pray and God will move them out of the way. This was such a surgical strike, Elder. This was such a surgical strike. He got the ones that needed to be destroyed. But there were some old boys that came along not too long after this called the sons of Korah. That they became integral parts of the worship in the tabernacle these boys they were good boys they, they were living for God daddy was a rebel daddy was a misfit but the sons of Korah they picked up the music and they sang and they led the worship hallelujah I'm going to tell you when you do the right thing and when the man of God amen the man of God starts sorting things out I'm going to tell you the things that can be salvaged will be salvaged are you hearing me tonight? Oh, he's, Brother Riggins got a hold of it. And my God, there's not going to be anything left when he's done. Nothing, nothing, nothing's going to be left. It's all going to be in ruins. No. No, because God has given you a real intercessor. Everybody say hallelujah. He didn't even know what I was going to preach here tonight. He didn't ask me to preach this. Let's stand. Let's lift our hands and worship the Lord again right now. Hallelujah. My God, my God, my God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I want to have an intercessor in my life. I want to be an intercessor. Hallelujah. I'm going to tell you something about being an intercessor. Just keep worshiping the Lord. Let me just talk to you here for a minute. There's something about being an intercessor. When you're an intercessor, God feels compelled to talk to you. Oh, hallelujah. Abraham. It was time to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. But God said, can I hide from Abraham? Can I hide from him what I'm fixing to do? 
he had to go down and talk to Abraham about what was fixing to happen in Sodom and Gomorrah because he knew Abraham was an intercessor. He said, he's going to lead his children after me. He's going to guide them, and he's going to lead them the way that I want them to be led. Oh, hallelujah. And, and when you are an intercessor, God tells you things, and he shows you things, and he helps you to be an intercessor. Let me show you in Isaiah, and I'm stopping. I am stopping. But in verse 20 of 59, I'm going to finish this chapter. The Bible says, and the Redeemer shall come to Zion, and unto them that turn from transgression in Jacob, saith the Lord. As for me, this is my covenant with them saith the Lord my spirit that is upon thee and my words which I have put in thy mouth shall not depart out of thy mouth he's talking to the intercessors he's talking about how his own arm brought salvation and it judged the enemies he says my spirit is, is upon thee my words shall I have put in thy mouth shall not depart out of thy mouth nor out of the mouth of thy seed nor out of the mouth of thy seeds seed saith the Lord from henceforth and forever, when we get an intercessor working, we're guaranteeing the, the sustenance of our children and our grandchildren and the generations to come. Oh, hallelujah. I don't know about you, but I don't want, I don't want new life just to last this generation. And I don't want Cornerstone just to last this generation. I want it to carry on to the next generation. And I want it to carry on to my grandson's generation. And I want to carry on after that. Hallelujah. And I want it to grow. And I want it to build. And I want the kingdom of God to bring glory in the, in the earth. Hallelujah. And it's only going to happen if we had the spirit of an intercessor in the house. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody prayed for you. Somebody prayed for you. Somebody carried you through that trial. Somebody carried you through that valley. Now it's your turn. It's your turn to stand up and say, I'm going to help somebody else make it through the trial. I'm going to, make some, I'm going to help somebody else. Amen. I'm going to stand in behalf and I'm going to intercede for them. Come on, let's worship the Lord tonight. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. My God, my God, we need intercessors. We need, we need headship. We need, you can't be a leader of God's people if you're not an intercessor. You're not going to be used of God if you're not an intercessor. Hallelujah. Oh, come on, church. Let's touch God tonight. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, come on, let's come down around the front. Let's find a place to pray.